0: Welcome to another inspiring message recorded at Thrive Church, a church passionate about moving people towards Jesus. Well, good morning, church. How great a service have we been having so far? Communion has been amazing. Worship has been amazing. Every part about the service has been great so far, and What a privilege it is to always be together and gather together. So it really is an honor to be here right now. And it's my privilege right now to share God's word with us. And for that privilege, I'd like to thank Pastor Byron and Pastor Candice, And speaking of Pastor Byron and Pastor Candice, they are both away this weekend at Muscle Bay. Uh, They're preaching there at at New Life Church, and they've been preaching there all weekend and will continue to do so this morning. So really uh, trusting that the community there will be as blessed there by their uh, ministry as we are each week when they are here with us. But again, today it is my privilege to encourage us with God's word, and we're going to be continuing with our sermon series, part three of our sermon series called "Jesus Said What?" And I wanted to ask right now, if you wouldn't mind please joining me and standing as we read God's word together, as we read the text in which we'll be looking at on what Jesus said that left the people in that day and what leaves us so astonished and Today's text comes from Matthew 20, verses 25 to 28. So please want you to join me in standing as we share this word together. It says this, But Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant." And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather under your word today. We thank you, Lord, that your word is powerful and active and it sharpens our innermost souls and innermost beings. We thank you right now, Lord, that as we hear your word, and as we discuss your word, and as we unpack your word, it will have such huge effects over our lives and in all that we do. So we thank you, Lord, for what you're about to share with us and bring towards us, and we pray, God, that you may be the one who is glorified in it all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may take your seat. So in March 1973, the 45th Oscar ceremony took place. And in these much simpler times when famous actors weren't walking up to stages and slapping hosts, a few movies were up for grabs, For or, or were, a few well-known movies were going up for some of the biggest awards that were up for grabs. A lot of the movies uh, that were there were uh, gunning for some of the top prizes, and two in particular had the most nominations, The Godfather and Cabaret. And both these movies walked into the ceremonies with 10 nominations each, including the nomination for Best Supporting Actor. Now, uh, The Godfather seemed like a clear winner for this award because they had three actors running for this prize. They had three actors in this who had made three brilliant performances in that movie. So, meaning that most people thought, well, one of those three should be the ones that get the award. But it turns out that none of them did get the award, but the award went to Joel Grey for his supporting role in cabaret. Now, what made uh, Gray's performance so celebrated, what made his character so loved, was the fact that throughout the whole movie, his character never had a name. The name of his character, or at least what we refer to him as, is the Master of Ceremonies. Basically, how's this? Gray's character, this MC, mc the whole the cabaret or the nightclub that the movie was set in, but also you have to watch the movie to believe it. It's mind-blowing. <laughs> and he also mc the whole movie. He even starts off the movie, and I'm gonna try my best German accent. He starts off the whole movie by looking at the audience and looking at uh, at the at the at the audience in the movie and then the audience that were watching the movie itself, and he says. Ladies and gentlemen, I am your host. And which I'm pretty sure you're thinking, world-class German right there. <laughs> but he starts off the movie by doing that, and, it's, and he continues the movie in that vein. And a whole of society celebrated how well he performed this movie, simply because he didn't shine the spotlight on himself, but he took the spotlight and shone it on other people and supported the other characters in the movie. And by doing that, his role was celebrated, and by doing that, he was recognized, as his performance was recognized as one of the best fictional characters of all time, all because he served well and society recognized how well he served in that moment. And what was celebrated then is still celebrated now, because we don't only see servanthood in movies, but we see it in our leaders as well. We are all disgusted by the type of leaders who, who use their, uh, their power and their authority to, to glorify their own names, to put the spotlight on themselves and not serve others. Yet at the same time, we all admire the leaders who serve the people that they, uh, that they have under their authority, the kind of leaders who put themselves last and put other people first. You know, the story goes in a documentary of one of Nelson Mandela's bodyguards who was blown away when Mandela came across and came over to him and gave him a bag of the finest chocolates from Switzerland. Uh, And he asked him, hey, just give these to your wife and kids. This was done after a recent trip. And this blew the bodyguard away because he knew that it was was months ago when he had a conversation in passing with Mandela to let him know that, hey, uh, my family, uh, my wife, she, like, she loves chocolate. It's one of her favorite things. Yet the president kept that in mind because he knew that an opportunity would come at some point to serve him and to serve his family in this way. We all admire servant leadership. Let's also take for an example, uh, Real Madrid. Now, I know what you're thinking and yes, it is happening, there was absolutely no way that Real Madrid was going to win their 14th Champions League trophy and it go unmentioned. Hashtag Hala Madrid. You know, Real Madrid, over the last year, few years, since 2014 to now, have had one of their most successful periods in the club's history. And many experts say it was because the managers that they had during that time, Carlo Ancelotti and Zinedine Zidane, were managers who knew how to serve the players well. And because they knew how to serve the players well, the teams became very, very successful. Again, culture took a moment and is taking a moment to acknowledge and celebrate leaders and people who serve others well. You know, while culture celebrates this, Jesus looks at us and looks on and says, this is what I've been saying the whole time. (laughs) You know, so as we continue in our series called Jesus Said What, we're actually going to unpack the scripture that we read earlier where Jesus highlights and focuses the importance of servanthood in our discipleship and in our following of him. And while we're looking at this, we ultimately see uh, from this passage, as we have seen from the examples that we've gone through over the last little while, we see that Jesus is teaching us and showing us the power of servanthood. So today, let's look at the power of servanthood. Now, let's be honest. It's easy to look at the world world around us and to look at our leaders and to think to ourselves, servanthood has no power. It's easy to think think this when we look at the corrupt corrupt getting away with corruption, when we look at leaders abusing power, when we look at those who have been put in authority misusing that authority and going unchallenged. Let's be honest even, it's easy to look at our own lives and see this to be true. How often have we helped someone and see that help not, uh, and that favor not being repaid or returned back to us? How often have we served a colleague and it, blow, it blows up in our face? Not only that, but it's easy for us and it's easy for the people around us to exercise authority and to exercise bullying and to see the benefits of it. You know, we've either been the kinds of people who have done it towards others, or we have been the kinds of people who have been victims, whether in our workplace or at school or at home, of people exercising their authority on us and going unchallenged. So words like the power of servanthood, they may not ring true and they may not kind of have the resignation or or, um, the kind of burden or the kind of desire in our hearts just based on the everyday culture that we're living in. But if Jesus argues that there is power in our serving, I think it's worth our attention because the words of Jesus, those that are most surprising to us, those are the words that can be the most important to us, and those can be the words that matter most to us. So let's discover what Jesus actually meant when he spoke about the power of servanthood. And let's see how powerful this can be in our own lives as well. Now, for some context, this passage from Matthew 20, it takes place uh, where Jesus was making his final trip to Jerusalem. His final trip to Jerusalem that would lead to Easter week. Now, the way Jesus saw this trip was very different to how the disciples saw this trip. To the extent that Jesus called them aside and said, hey guys, uh, listen, uh, this, this trip to Jerusalem, it won't be like all the other trips. This trip is going to be final. You know, uh, the leaders, the religious leaders of, of the time, they're going to arrest me, they're going to beat me, and they're going to kill me. But be cool, relax, because I'm going to rise from the dead three days later. Now, surprisingly, the disciples didn't freak out because in the back of their heads, all they heard were, Jerusalem, us, rise. And they thought to themselves, we're going to be living legends in this place. Oh, my word, we can't wait for Jesus to rule, for us to rise, and for us to do the things that that living legends do. But while they were thinking, all of them were thinking this, two in particular, two brothers, James and John, they thought to themselves, hey, if if everyone is going to be a living legend, if all 12 of us here are going to be living legends, who are going to be the best of the legends, the super legends as you were? And they thought to themselves, it just has to be us. How can it not be us? So they did what any person of great authority would do in that moment. They called up their mom and asked them, mom, won't you please come down and ask Jesus if we can sit by his left and by his right? And... And uh, the mom comes through and comes towards Jesus as the very first helicopter parent, and she says to Jesus, "Jesus, please come up, one of my sons be on the right and the other one be on your left when you're glorified and seated on high." Jesus looked at her and looked at them and said, "I can't determine that. How can I determine that? Only God can do that." To which the rest of the disciples were annoyed and irritated, not because they, uh, not because James and John asked that question, they were annoyed because they didn't get to ask the question first. I'm pretty sure some of them were thinking to themselves, oh, I was going to ask that same question tomorrow morning. Man, they got, beat me to it. And I'm sure others were thinking, oh, I was going to ask my mom, and how did their mom get you first? My mom's only getting here tomorrow morning. Man, I missed out on that opportunity. But Jesus, seeing all this scheming, seeing all this annoyance, he actually says, and he actually calls them aside and he says this of what we read in Matthew 20, verses 25 to 28. He says to them, but Jesus called them together and said, hey, hey, you know that the rulers of this world lord it over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servants, must be your Joel Grey, your Nelson Mandela. Your are Carlo Ancelotti. And whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. Slave? First servant and now slave? Jesus, what? <laughs> but before we could write them off or before the disciples could write them off, Jesus makes it clear that he's not asking us or asking them to do something that he's not prepared to do himself. And he says, for even the Son of Man came, to be, uh, came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. This entire passage is one of influence and impact. And it takes place just uh, just before Easter week, the very week where the greatest impact and the greatest influence happened in all of human history. You know, it takes place not through an iron fist, but through a great act of service by dying on a cross. Jesus makes it clear of how important and how powerfully he thought of servant leadership. He makes it clear to us and to his disciples that true discipleship that carries the greatest amount of influence and greatest impact on others requires a firm understanding of the power of servanthood. You and I, if we're going to be great disciples of Jesus, if we're going to be true disciples they carry great influence, and they carry a great impact, we need to come to grips and come to terms with what it means that, to, that servanthood has great power, the power of serving. Craig Lonsborough once wrote, the most formidable way to lead is to serve. And, when the per, and while this perplexing oxymoron of such, grinding, of such a grinding statement absolutely cripples us, It birthed a savior. It birthed a savior. Jesus knew that he was, Jesus knew what he was speaking about when he asked us to serve. He knew that by serving, we will have the greatest amount of influence and impact on those we love most our spouses, our kids, our friends, our co workers our bosses even, everyone who we come into contact with will have great impact and great influence over them because we understand the value of servanthood. Now, when I say the power of servanthood and speak about what uh, Jesus means by that, you know, Jesus makes it clear that servanthood does have power because the language that he uses is language like, if you want to be a leader or whoever wants to be first, And in other passages, he speaks about greatness. Whoever wants to be great, this this shows that this type of living, this way of life, this lifestyle, it isn't feeble. It's not a feeble thing that he's asking us to do, but it's something that has great hidden power. Hidden power that can give birth to a Savior and so much more in our lives as well. So to understand the power of servanthood, Let's start by unpacking why this is important for our lives to live this way, and let's also unpack how we can practically live this out. You know, at the high school that I attended, much like any other school, the value of leadership and the va- um, was very much valued, and it was celebrated throughout the school. To be a prefect was something that everyone aspired to one day, and not only that, but also to Go into the environment and to step into the environment knowing that one day you'll be the leader of your whatever after school, that was something that everyone that came into the school valued from day one. But what isn't taught in such an environment to 13-year-old boys as they step into this is that the value of leadership and the value to be great in your own eyes, it comes hand in hand with selfish ambition, and the two can grow together. And so, from early in my great eight year, I grew, I grew to be desperately wanting to be a prefect someday in matric. trick. But that desire to be great in my own eyes, uh, that, that desire to want to be something more than, than I thought I could be, that got coupled with selfish ambition. So much so that over the years, my prayer life began to change and change. And over the years, my prayer life began to be a lot more vindictive and became to be a lot more cynical. Prayers like, "Father, please make the housemasters see that. Um, please make sure that the housemasters see the kind of this kind act that I'm busy performing right now." Lord, please can my marks be higher than Pete's marks, so that I can be considered higher than Pete? Thank you, Lord, that Tabo messed up and is now in detention. Now that's one less person I need to contend with. Now, this type of selfish ambition, this doesn't just go away after you write your last matric exam. That kind of stuff, it stays with you. So much so that it's a daily prayer of mine to pray a Psalm 19 verse 14, where I say, oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Because I know that deep down, selfish ambition, uh, the desire to be great in our own eyes, that is lurking deep beneath the surface. And don't we all have a tendency to be that way as well? Don't we all have that tendency in our spirits? You know, we all have the desire, whether big or small, to be great in our own eyes, to want to be something greater than ourselves. We all have a bit of selfish ambition that we want to pursue in one way or another, even if it's at the expense of other people. I mean, how often do we see drivers skip red robots or drive like maniacs on the highway? It's all because such a driver would think that their own agenda is greater and better than those around them. How often do we see powerful men misuse their authority to abuse women and commit other such crimes? How often do we see underperforming kids ridiculed by their parents because it's easier to shun them and to save face than to support them by being associated with their limitations at school or their career choices? How often do we help out our coworkers only when there's a clear path in our careers to go forward? But as soon as that path becomes a dead end, we begin to be less helpful, less engaged, and truthfully, sometimes we can often be a bit more cynical of the other person's agenda. Now, these are quick examples of what a life that doesn't serve well looks like. And it's, it's a life that's ultimately closed-minded, insular, unappreciative of others, and has a limited capacity to love others well. And it's this kind of behavioral pattern that Jesus saw in his disciples and can often see in us that made him kick back by offering us this invitation of serving because he knows that the best version of ourselves is on the other side of accepting this invitation of a life that serves well. And I just love how Martin Luther King Jr. put it. He says this, everybody can be great because everybody can serve you don't have to be a college degree. Don't have to have a college degree to serve. You only need a heart full of grace and a soul generated by love. What great news is that? Anybody can be great because everybody can serve, and that is such a reassuring thing for each and every one of us. Parents can be great parents by serving. Spouses can be great spouses by serving. Roommates can be great roommates. By serving, to which one or two of us are thinking right now, just like I wish my college roommates could be great right now. (laughs) But the point is, the list goes on and on of whatever it is that we want to be great at, by simply attaching serving to it, we can be great at that thing. Again, there is power in servanthood. So the question becomes now, how do we practically live this out? How can we practically be people who can serve others well? And I'd like to offer us one practice, one practice that comes from the scripture that we've just read, and that is serve where God asks. Serve where God asks. Where is God asking you to serve? Serve there. You know, Jesus makes this practice clear in Matthew 20, verse 28, when he says, For even the Son of Man came here to earth among us, not to be served, but to serve others and to live his life as a ransom for many. Jesus says that even he came to serve God and where God asked him to serve. So if Jesus came to serve where God asked him to serve, so should we. Because what we see from Jesus is that this is the most sustainable way of living a life of servanthood. St. Augustine of Hippo says, your, your best servant is the person who does not attend so much to hearing what he himself wants as to willing what he has heard from you. Isn't that so true? Think about a good waiter. A good waiter is one who hears what you, want, what you have asked him to do, the one who hears what your order is, and he goes on and does that. He knows where the kitchen is, he knows where your table is, and he stays in those boundaries. He doesn't head off to uh, the car park and then just go across the road to the nearest mall and buy himself a pair of shoes and then circle his way back around and then only serve you. No, he knows where, t- where you've asked him to serve, he knows what you've asked him to do, and he does that well. And the same is true for a good coworker, a good spouse, a good child, a good parent, the same is true for a good apprentice, and the same is true for a good disciple of Jesus. It, is, it would be wise of us to know where God has asked us to serve, and then serve there. I just love the example we see in Scripture of Moses and Joshua. Now, we're told in uh, Joshua 11, verse 15, that as the Lord commanded Moses, his servant, so Moses commanded Joshua. Joshua did so. He left nothing undone of what the Lord had commanded Moses. Here's this amazing ripple effect of Moses, God's servant, who knew that God asked him to serve in Egypt and in the wilderness. He then passed on the information to Joshua, who knew that God had asked him to serve in the promised land. And because Both of these men knew where to serve, and because they served well where God had asked them to serve, their obedience to God led to a nation being freed, a nation's pride being restored, and a nation's promise being fulfilled. And here's the thing. That's what obedience to God does. It frees and restores nations. It frees and restores relationships, families, careers, dreams, and purposes. Over time, that's the impact of serving where God has asked you to serve. That's the impact of a life that's filled with the power of servanthood. Now, there are two areas that God will always ask us to serve. The first is in his world, and the second is in his house. Let's look at at each of these. Firstly, God is always asking us to serve in his world. God asks us to serve in his world whenever we see an injustice or whenever we have an unsettling interaction with those we care, care for in our lives. Where, whenever we see something that, that leaves us thinking, oh, that's not sitting well with me. Or we think to ourselves, things shouldn't be this way. You know, it could be seeing poverty. It could be seeing the effects of hunger, the effects of poor education or no education, the abuse of power, corruption. It could even be an interaction with a family member that just didn't end off well. It could be an an interaction with a friend where a friend shares a burden and you end up thinking to yourself, sure, I don't know if I can rest without this, without me helping my friend resolve this well. Again, it's those moments where we left thinking, there's something not right. Something's not sitting well with me. And whenever we have that unsettling feeling, whenever we just can't shake it off, it would be wise for us to pray out to God in that moment and say to him, Lord, what are you asking me to do about this? This unsettling feeling, this environment, this moment where I just, I don't know what to do. Help me to know what you want me to do right now, because I know that you're asking me to do something because otherwise I wouldn't be feeling this feeling. It would be wise for us to start there because God will then prompt us with a next step. And those next steps could range from quitting your day job to start an MPO that helps helps alleviate an issue that's that's going on in the society. (laughs) Or it could go all the way to the other end of the spectrum and just help one person by giving them something that could help them with that day. It could range from having that difficult conversation with the friend so that the friendship can be restored, all the way to just share a kind word of encouragement to somebody each day. Again, I don't know where you are at in the spectrum or what God would ask you to do in that spectrum, but the point is this. It would be wise for us, when living a life of servanthood, to ask God, whenever we're feeling unsettled, what do you want me to do with this? You know, that's what this month's monthly practice is all about. This June monthly practice is, is called Warm Up Winter. And maybe some of us here today, you know, we've been unsettled. Or haven't, it hasn't felt right that a few of our congregation members or so many of our congregation members have been, found it hard to get back on their feet during, uh, even at the aftermath of the pandemic. And for you, maybe an obedient way to respond would be to buy a hope bag. You know, being able to buy a hope bag will help alleviate so much uh, weight and so much stress for families who have been struggling over the last little while. Maybe you want to head over to the desk and buy a hope bag or two. And by doing so, you'll be able to serve in this area well. And maybe some of us here, we've just felt unsettled and it just doesn't sit right that there are people going around this winter without a blanket to keep them warm. For you, donating a blanket at the drop-off zone will make the world of difference to so many people. And in so doing, you'll be exercising the power of serving in that area. But regardless of what it is, regardless of what we feel and what we want to do, serving well in the world looks like us responding and asking God, how is it that I can serve? What is it that you want me to do when looking at the, the things in our lives that can be unsettling? And the second area that God will always ask us to serve is in his house. And by serving in his house, I mean his church, his family. Ephesians 2 verses 19 to 22 reminds us of this when it says, you are members of God's family. Together we are his house put together, built on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Jesus Christ himself. And we are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles, which are you and us, are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his Spirit. You know, I am a product of this type of life. I'm a product of God just putting me in his house and me just... Finding a way to serve uh, as best as in any way I know how. You know, from being a very confused teen to growing up to right now being a somewhat more confused adult. (laughs) You know, I've always relied on what God is doing in this house and in this house in particular to know what it is that he's asking me to do next. I've used every opportunity, like being a part of a life group, being a part of a serving team, uh, being a part of any encounter night that's happening, uh, if there's a call to a Mandela Day, being a part of that, um, from being a part of a carol service, joining Move Forward, being at a men's meeting, even sometimes serving at a ladies' meeting. You know, uh, all of those moments, I've, I've been in front of them to simply not because I have to do it, because I know that whatever God is asking me to do, it, it has to be attached to His house as well. And by so doing, I owe it so much to this house for my love that I have for Jesus. Yes, my personal devotional times have been so instrumental and so helpful, but so has the times I've spent serving here in his house. And the reality is, everything that happens in the life of the church isn't just for the sake of the life of the church. Everything that happens here is for our benefit, for us to attach ourselves to it, for us to attach ourselves to God's plan A, to serving and helping this broken world. And by us attaching ourselves to that, we see ourselves moving towards God's instrument of serving the world, and we ourselves become God's instrument and serve well in His house. And you know, for a a very practical way in which we can do this, this, uh, this coming month, you know, and the practical way where we can serve in his house in this, in this month is by simply being a part of next weekend's big weekend. You know, we have, again, as we've heard throughout the service, uh, Pastor Richard and Pastor Jackie coming and joining us uh, next weekend. And they've got such phenomenal messages they're going to share at the Forge men's meeting, at, at the Hope ladies' meeting. Uh, at the marriage and parenting lectures on Saturday, and through through the two different messages that they're going to preach at each campus on the Sunday. You know, there's so much in which we are able to attach ourselves to and see ourselves growing and growing in our love and faith in Jesus in this way. Something can be unlocked by just being a part of that. And for us, serving in His house next weekend can range from us being a part of a serving team, if you already are, and simply serving and continuing to serve in that way. I mean, we know that Jesus' words are true in this area, that it's better to give than it is to receive. So if you're part of a serving team, serving next weekend could be a great way in which we serve in his house. And maybe you find yourself on the other end of the spectrum, or maybe this is even your first time that you've come through today, or maybe you've come over the last little while and you're not quite sure. You know, serving in his house looks like simply attending each of the messages that happen next week. (laughs) It's simply being a part of what God is doing here. Because again, when we're just a part of what God is doing here, He can use that to help us to serve those around Him and around us in a much healthier and a much more profound way than what we could ever have thought of doing by ourselves. So it's so important for us to remember and to realize that when we are obedient to serve where God asks us, It frees and restores families, relationships, careers, dreams, and purposes. And this includes us serving in his house. You know, to wrap up, Jesus knew that there was power and there is still power in our servanthood. Firstly, we see this by by whenever we serve God and whenever we serve others, that we'll have a greater impact in the lives of those around us and we'll have greater influence as well. And secondly, what we'll begin to see is that when we serve while well, we dismiss and we disregard any type of selfish ambition or any type of, of, of deep desire in our, in our hearts to be great in our own eyes. Instead, we live lives that glorify God's name only. And whenever we live this way, we see that the best or one of the best practical ways of doing so is living out the practice of serving wherever God asks us to serve whether it be in the world or in his house. And by doing so, by serving where God asks us to serve, by living this type of obedience, we see that families get restored and get freed, and so do relationships, careers, dreams, and purposes. In a recent interview, New Zealand Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern, she shared about how New Zealand shared equipment, money and training to Ukraine in their war against Russia. And Arden kind of gave a phone call to to the Ukrainian president, Vladimir Zelensky, a little while after she did so. And she humbly said to him, like, hey, we are a small nation. We haven't got much. And I know that all that we have given is just a drop in the ocean in comparison to the great need that you have. But Zelensky responded in gratitude. And he said this. It's not about small, and it's not about big. It's about who reacts and those who don't, and you reacted. Arden's service made a difference regardless of its size, and the same can be true about our acts of service as well. In a world plagued by so much hurt and brokenness, our servanthood, whether it be big or whether it be small, is, is all about reacting. It's about serving where God asks us to serve. And as we do so, our impact and our influence will make a great difference. And that's the power of servanthood. Let's pray. You know, for some of us today, this may be the first time you've been made aware of who Jesus is. And if if that's you, this moment is for you. Because right now, I'd love to pray for you to Invite Him to come into your life to be your Lord, Savior, and friend. And whenever we invite Jesus into our lives, three things begin to happen. Firstly, we have a past that is forgiven, we have a purpose for living, and then we have a home in heaven. These are three amazing things that happen whenever we accept the invitation to allow Jesus to be our Lord, Savior, and friend. So if that's you right now, it will be my absolute privilege to pray for you. And And after my prayer, Our service anchor is gonna come on up and we'll help you with your next steps going forward. But right now, it'll be my privilege to pray for you. So come, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for sending Jesus to us, sending Jesus to us as he said in the scriptures to live among us and to give his life as a ransom for us. We accept his act of sacrifice. We accept his death on the cross. We believe in him right now. And Lord Jesus, we ask and pray for your forgiveness of our sins. And we thank you that you have forgiven us. And we pray right now, we ask right now for your help to help us live this life well, to help us live with your Holy Spirit power, and to help us live this life of servanthood that you highly recommend. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Come churches, be the church and give a huge hand of congratulations to everyone who made that decision today. And right now, our service anchor will take over and give you some practical next steps. God bless. We hope you have been blessed and helped by this message. For more information about our church, visit our website at www.thrivechurch.co.za.